is here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Number 877-381-3811, Janet Yellen is the Treasury Secretary. Prior to that, she was head of the Fed. She is an irresponsible, big-spending leftist. And I want to show you why. I want you to listen to this, and then I want to break it down. She was at a hearing today, and let's go to cut eight, Mr. Producer, go. Secretary Yellen, without getting into the specifics of Mr. Foster's bill, would you support simply eliminating the debt ceiling um, so that we don't have to deal with this in the future and can focus on real crises? Yes, I would, because I believe when Congress legislates expenditures and um, puts in place uh, tax policy that determines taxes. Those are the crucial uh, decisions Congress is making. And if to finance those um, spending and tax decisions, it's necessary to um, issue additional debt, um, I believe it's very destructive to put uh, the president and myself, the Treasury Secretary, in a situation where we might be unable to pay the bills that result from those past decisions. Okay. This is important to understand. She's saying there should be no limit on the debt. There should be no check on spending. If Congress passes spending and the president signs it, that's good enough. And so you can have a Congress and a president pass massive, massive spending bills that will tie the hands of future Congresses and Presidents, and more importantly, the public, for generations to come. The reason they don't like the debt ceiling issue is because it forces them to make decisions. It's because it forces them to vote. That's why they don't like it. Otherwise, as massive as our debt is, it would be even larger. These people will vote today 
to enhance themselves politically, to empower themselves politically, and somebody will have to pay the price tomorrow. They're already doing it. As massive as the debt is, almost $30 trillion, that's the on-book debt. Off-book debt is, ready? Over $250 trillion. Social Security, Medicare, on and on and on, the obligations. It's apparently not big enough for the Democrat Party and some Republicans, which is appalling. So here's the one backstop that forces them to actually have to confront this And she opposes it. The Treasury Secretary, former head of the Fed. And so do the Democrats. They want to destroy every single obstacle that's in their way, whether it's their agenda, whether it's spending, whatever it is. Whether it's the Supreme Court, whether it's the voting system, uh, whether it's our immigration laws, and now whether it's the debt ceiling. So you could literally have one Congress for a two-year period, if they have both houses as they do, a president as they do, regardless of how big their majority is, to spend this country into, into breaking its back. Thank God for this debt ceiling. Now, she said something else. She also said, Treasury Secretary and the President in a situation where we might be unable to pay the bills that result from those past decisions. Now, I've talked about this before, but let me just really hone in on this. When you're talking about raising the debt ceiling, you're talking about raising the debt ceiling for future spending. Not past spending. Future spending. Because you've bumped up to the debt ceiling. Now, they keep lying about this for a reason, but you're talking about raising the debt ceiling so they can pass this monstrosity of a budget, of a spending bill, which is really a cultural, civil, in every respect bill that touches every aspect of our society, as well as a financial bill. So they need to raise the debt ceiling not to pay for our debt obligations, but to pay for new spending. And again, we bring in $322 billion a month approximately. I looked at the latest numbers. That's what the federal government brings in. Seems like a lot of money to me. $44 billion of that, a little over $44 billion, just shy of $45 billion, goes to debt service. So you don't need to raise the debt ceiling for spending in order to pay the debt service on the debt. Am I pretty clear about this, Mr. Producer? I hope so. So Yellen is lying. They're all lying. Because this is the game they play. Now, in addition to this, what we know of this 2,500-page bill is that it doesn't pay for itself. They're doing things like costing out a year or two or three of a new program When in fact, they don't intend to end it in a year or two or three. They intend to extend it, you know, ad infinitum. Or on and on and on. And so, they're lying about it. They're lying about how they budget. They're lying about what they're going to spend. Wall Street Journal pointed this out. They're not the only ones. So number two, not only are they lying about the debt service, they're now lying about 
what the program is going to actually cost. Number three, I mentioned this yesterday and I want to underscore this. Manchin has obviously said, you now know, we now know, that he doesn't want to go above $1.5 trillion. That he doesn't want to go above $1.5 trillion. I said yesterday, I bet they take a trillion off or something like that, but they keep most of the substance of what it is that they want to put in place when it comes to social engineering and massively expanding the welfare state. Because in truth, they really don't care about the debt or deficit spending. And so now I just watched a news report that said they are going to come down on that number. But we have to watch what is in this thing, if we can find out what's in this thing. Because, again, they're not going to care, ultimately, about the debt or the deficit. They'll throw another trillion into the bucket. They don't care. There's so many bad things in this bill, apart from the hideous fiscal disaster, that it needs to be killed on that basis alone. So I'm not trying to confuse you all and so forth. What I'm trying to do is lay out the sort of thing that's taking place here. Now, the most radical elements in the Democrat Party, they keep calling them progressives. They're not progressives. They're Marxists. They're Marxists. They've been taught by Marxists. They've been indoctrinated by Marxists. They're Marxists. And yet, apparently, it's just too painful for people to say, not you and me, but other people. They are American Marxists. That's what they are. Not Soviet Marxists, American Marxists. They are threatening to, uh, to kill the bipartisan infrastructure bill and this bill as well. I say go for it. Kill them both. Because inflation is already breaking through the roof. We have supply chain lines that are, that are breaking. You see the price of beef, the price, the price of bacon. You see the price of gasoline, the price of homes. It's coming. It's here, but it's coming in a much bigger way now, inflation. So if the Marxists want to kill the spending bills, that is fine by me. That is fine by me. All right, we have a lot more. I'll be right back. Mark In today's digital age, where cyber threats loom larger than ever, safeguarding your personal information is paramount. So why is Congress considering a law that could put your credit card data at greater risk of being hacked and exposed to foreign networks? This Durbin Marshall credit card bill could jeopardize your financial data, make it more susceptible to cyber intrusions. It's a controversial bill that proposes a shift in billions of dollars worth of consumer transactions to payment networks that lack the robust security measures consumers rely on. Who could possibly want that? Well, the answer, woke corporate megastores seeking to inflate their multi-billion dollar profit margins. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill will undermine our safe and convenient payment systems and endanger your data security. It's time to take a stand. Visit electronicpaymentscoalition.org. Make your voice heard. Tell your senators to oppose the radical Durbin Marshall credit card bill paid for by the Electronic Payments Coalition. Welcome back. I think one of the things that bothers me the most about all of this is, and we talk about it here a lot over the last almost 20 years, why was this nation founded and what was it founded for? 
it was founded against repressive centralized government. It was founded on the beliefs that you and I have unalienable rights. That we have a circle of liberty around us that the government may not molest or penetrate. It was very carefully designed in the Constitution after five and a half months in Philadelphia to divide powers, to enumerate powers, to limit powers. Later there would be a Bill of Rights to underscore the fact that we as individuals are the reason this country exists. And of course the Tenth Amendment underscoring the fact that there is federalism in this country. The states would never have created a federal government that would crush the individual, or crush the states for that matter. Now look where we are today. Almost $30 trillion in debt. And one or two votes away from altering our society. From altering how we pick our public officials. From altering the nation of citizen, the, uh, the, the nature of citizenship to altering the constitutional process, all in one bill. Altering the finances of the country so we can never recover. Changing the structure of our constitutional system, basically plowing over all the efforts in the Constitution that are built in order to limit the central government. We don't even discuss these things anymore. We don't even debate these things anymore. It's just assumed that the government has this power. It's just assumed that the Democrats can do whatever the hell they want if they have the votes. Is that what the Constitution says? Is that how it's set up? And yet you can see the the diabolical nature of the Democrat Party, and they're not alone, that enough is never enough. If they got everything they wanted. Senator Markey let it out of the bag. He said some time ago, this is a first step. This is a first step. If they get every single thing they want, it's a first step. When the government becomes more powerful, you become weaker. When the government becomes bigger, you become smaller. And when they load the courts up with ideologues, which is exactly what Biden's doing right now, The Bill of Rights are fungible. Your liberty is not the number one issue. It's what the government wants to do. And who's the government? What is the government? Politicians and bureaucrats. How many many bureaucrats do you know who have some say over how you live? Almost none, I'm guessing. So why should we confer power to total strangers? And who are these people? Are they particularly bright? Are they stupid? Are they ideological? Are they political? Are their decisions always angelic? Are they noble? How about the politicians? Why is it assumed that they know so much about so much? Where did they get that knowledge? They don't have that knowledge at all. Even a hundred years or so ago, when the so-called progressives, a.k.a. American Marxists, established their reign, 
One of the reasons they wanted to take power and freedom away from you, the individual, and give it to Washington, D.C. and the government was because they argued that experts could use science and mathematics and other means to run the country. That has even failed. We don't have experts running anything in the bureaucracy. They have a civil service. They have unions. Most of them can't get fired. They get seniority. God knows how they're hired. What makes them experts? Nothing. What makes them special and smarter than everybody in the private sector? Nothing. Getting back to basics. We never get back to basics. It's important to argue the numbers. I just did. It's important to point out what is or is not in a bill. I just did. But it's also important to explain that the, the nation has changed. In many ways, we are extra or unconstitutional in respects to so much what goes on in our society. As an example, nobody has said, other than me, nobody has said most of what's in this bill is unconstitutional. But the Supreme Court said, I don't care what the Supreme Court said. I can read the Constitution, you can read the Constitution. I can read legislative history, but even more, I can read the Madison's notes and and other original source information. This government was never intended to be this size to begin with, and now they want to massively expand it. What's the point of a constitution if it isn't honored? In so many respects, we go through the motions with the Supreme Court of the United States and the other federal courts. No justice will ever admit it, no matter which justice we would talk to, but that's a fact. It didn't happen today. It's been happening for decades. How do we get to a point where we have a 50-50 Senate and a vice president who can vote, and they have a three or four vote lead in the House, and you can fundamentally alter our republic? The Constitution provides no avenue for that. I'll be right back. The Mike Levin Show. This is the home of the July 4th Americans. And you can call at 877-381-3811. It is amazing when you sit in a position like mine, how people perceive you or perceive what you say and how it's sometimes so different or detached from how I perceive what I say in myself. My hits on Hannity... Even some of my opening monologues on my Sunday show on Fox, on Levin TV, and behind this microphone, I've pointed out over and over and over again that Biden and the CDC and their use of the phrase or the word unvaccinated is problematic because they never tell us what percentage of the unvaccinated got the virus and are therefore immune, naturally immune. And have the antibodies. In fact, I was the first to point this out almost a month ago. As I went on the CDC site. And I couldn't find the information. And we've talked about it many, many times. So a friend of mine writes me and says, How come you never talk about this? I do. I talk about it all the time. 
And I still would like to get some answers. When you consider almost 80% now the population that is subject to the vaccine, that is, that can take the vaccine, has taken it. The question is, what percentage of the remaining 20% already have immunity, natural immunity? And the Israeli study says that's 27 times stronger than with a vaccine. And they should know because they have another massive outbreak in Israel. But this isn't some uh, backbencher country coming up with a study. This is a serious country. And they're pointing out that this herd immunity issue is a big deal. And it really is. So when you take the fact that there's upwards of 80% of the people have been vaccinated, and a significant percentage of the people have gotten this virus and have immunity, well, what are we really talking about here? That requires you to fire nurses, fire teachers, fire employees. And they all have good uh, lawsuits, by the way, in my view. They all have good lawsuits. Now, it wasn't that long ago when we were celebrating first responders and the frontline folks, remember? Here the Associated Depressed health workers once saluted as heroes now get threats. More than a year after U.S. healthcare workers on the front line against COVID-19 were saluted as heroes with nightly clapping from windows and balconies, some are being issued panic buttons, case of assault and ditching their scrubs before going out in public for fear of harassment. So who's created this, this environment in this situation? Democrat mayors, Democrat governors, and Biden. Biden. Biden has said the unvaccinated are effectively the enemy because they're killing people. Now that is a lie. Last time I checked, it was Biden who has the death of 13 service people on his hands, not to mention 10 innocent people, including seven children. Across the country, doctors and nurses are dealing with hostility, threats, and violence from patients angry over safety rules designed to keep the scourge from spreading. Cox Medical Center, Branson, in Missouri, started giving panic buttons to up to 400 nurses and other employees after assaults per year tripled between 2019 and 2020 to 123, a spokesman said. One nurse had to get her shoulder x-rayed after an attack. It's almost as if the Democrats and Biden and the rest of them, they've created their own thugs, like so many autocracies. There's the enemy. Go get them. I'm sure Liz Cheney is going to want to start a commission to look into this. But I'm quite serious about it. And the teachers' unions have done a piss-poor job of representing their members, too. The AFT and the NEA. A lousy job. They're not following the science anymore, ladies and gentlemen. They're not following the science. And I might add, the science has been very confounding. It's moved over here and it's moved over there, over there and over here. They couldn't even get the mass rate for some period of time. And then they would say things that are so absurd that all of us knew it were absurd. Wear a mask inside your own home. Wear a double mask and, and eye protection. This is Fauci. Seriously? And then the politicization of this entire thing trying to attack Donald Trump. 
But you see, most corporatists are cowards or they're leftists. Most corporatists now come out of this education quagmire in order to work their way up the ladder. They take one ideological point of view. It's not only easier, more and more they believe it. So the American corporation is not what it used to be. And let me just make a suggestion to you nurses, to your medical assistants, doctors, teachers, and others. Pull your resources together and bring class action suits. And of course, there's no discussion about the number of people who will, again, not get the kind of medical care they need or who won't go to a hospital or a doctor because there's a, it's a, the waiting list is long or what have you as a result of these firings. How many of them are going to die? How many of them are going to get sick? As a result, how many of them as a result of government policy? I don't know. The CDC doesn't track that either. Remember I told you when they kept shutting down the private economy, private businesses, and so forth, that this is a righteous thing, they tell us. This is a righteous thing. What do you want? Liberty? Or do you want safety? But look at the debate over the government shutdown that wasn't. Look how that's front and center. And they have to do everything humanly possible to make sure the government stays open. And we're talking about 17% of the government, really. Paul Ryan, when he used to come on this show, pointed out that 83% of the government remains open. But it doesn't matter. They'll threaten you and they'll talk about what services you'll lose and so forth. We have two citizens in this country, citizens who work for the government and get benefits from the government, and citizens who don't work for the government and get few benefits from the government. Two types of citizens in this country. And the latter is shown no respect whatsoever. You're successful, then the government should beat the hell out of you. Take your property, take your money, you don't need that much. Politicians want to take your money and give it to their constituents, want to give it to their voters. Yeah. We have massive media organizations in this country. Billions and billions of dollars in resources. Hundreds and hundreds of employees. I want to ask you a question. Which one of those news organizations have put on the screen for you the long list of stuff that's in this bill. Maybe a little, but nothing comprehensive, none of them. Is it because they don't know? Is it because they don't want to tell you? It's because they're corrupt. They've picked a side. They're rooting for Biden. They're rooting for the Democrats. They're rooting for American Marxism. That's who they are. That's what they are. doesn't matter what's in the bill. What matters is who's for it and who's against it. And yet it does matter what's in this bill. As I just said, is it constitutional? That discussion will never be had. Does it violate your individual liberty? That discussion will never be had. Does it violate your private property rights? That discussion will never be had. Hey, look, don't you care about the children? I heard Pelosi say this today. This bill really is for women and the children. Women and the children? Well, about the children, 
You're going to bankrupt the children and the grandchildren. You're going to bankrupt generations yet born, wealth yet created. Not for children. Parents wouldn't do this to their own children, would they? They wouldn't do it to their own grandchildren, would they? And yet as a collective, we seem to lose our minds. We seem to lose our way. Most of us would die to protect our children and do anything we else we could do to make sure they're not impoverished and so forth and so on. And yet when we make decisions or sort of a collective ideology about this, it's go ahead, spend till your heart desires. Do whatever you need to do. Spend, 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 spend. And yet it's our flesh and blood. That's why when I look at this Jayapal, the head of the progressive wing, a.k.a. the Marxist wing of the Democrat Party, and they keep making demands, or I look at some punk like AOC, or anti-Semites like Omar and Talib, they want to destroy our country. They have no, no attachment to this country. They want to destroy the future for our children and grandchildren. Who are these bastards who get to make these decisions? about all of us and our progeny. I'll be right back. I have in front of me Really a fascinating piece from over a year ago. Maybe a little longer than that. And it was in uh, 538.com. How Never Trumpers Crashed the Democratic Party. And the writer's Perry Bacon Jr. I don't know who that is. It really doesn't matter. But he points out that the Never Trumpers have no influence in the Republican Party. De minimis. He points out that their representation on TV is well beyond their political clout. And they're on TV as Republicans, but in the bottom line is they're never Trumpers. And that several of them have jumped from the Republican Party to the Democrat Party, and their bigger influence is on the Democrat Party. And that they have as their objective to defeat the Republicans... And, of course, Trump supporters. It's a very, very good piece. And I think what the reason I'm bringing this up is, you can see in the Republican establishment, particularly among those, not exclusively, but particularly among those who don't run for office or have run for office or have retired from running from office, this attitude that they don't much care what the base of the Republican Party thinks or believes. They don't much care except for their own, I can't even call it ideology, their own model of governance. You can see this in George W. Bush who wants to get along with everybody except the Republican base. They've always been standoffish against the Republican base. Republican base supported Ronald Reagan over his father. And there are other examples. The Republican base, the conservative base, supported Donald Trump over his brother. You can see it with Dick Cheney. 
unfortunately. But unfortunately, it's true. Most of these people, or their parents or so forth, grew out of the Nixon era and the Ford White House. You can see some of it with Mitch McConnell, who worked for the Ford administration. He never supported Reagan in the primaries in 76 or 80. I note that. Most people don't. You can also see it in some of the writers and even some of the establishment so-called conservative sites. They're much more comfortable with what was than what is. And yet we are under this horrific assault by the American Marxism movements. And they still are myopically obsessed with proving themselves right. And yet they have no popular support. None. None whatsoever. And yet their numbers are really exceed their influence and exceed their reach on cable TV, on other platforms and so forth. It's true. Now I am adding to what the gentleman wrote. But it is true. Many of these people voted for Biden. But they don't want to be held to account. Biden's been the biggest disaster in my lifetime. But they'll never admit that. Many of them now have paid jobs on MSNBC or CNN, or they've set up their own websites, or, or they get speaking fees, or whatever it is that they do, write books and articles trying to justify themselves. Trying to justify who they are and what they believe. They don't believe anything. They're not even in the fight. They're not even in the battle. George W. Bush is a very nice man most of the time, I think. But he never attacks the Obamas and never did. He did raise us an issue when it came to Afghanistan, but he hasn't routinely attacked Pelosi or Schumer or Biden for that matter. But he attacked Trump supporters on 9-11. Really appalling. Anyway, just a thought. I'll be right back. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877 877-381-3811. 877-381-3811. I will not be here tomorrow. I have uh, an event that I'm uh, dealing with on Saturday, and I need to travel tomorrow. And I'll fill you in when I come back. Nothing wrong. All good. Um, And it's an obligation that I made some time ago, and I'm glad I did. So I won't be here tomorrow. Please watch Sunday, Life, Liberty, and Levin. Most of you do. Uh, We've got great guests on the program. Gordon Chang and I are going to discuss not just Communist China, but what was communist China thinking when rogue General Milley called their top military official? 
What were they thinking? What was their reaction? And how do they view America? Including after Afghanistan. Now, my second guest will be Stuart Varney. I've never talked to Stuart Varney in my life, but I will talk to him on Sunday about the economy, about what the Democrats are doing in Congress and so forth. So these are two tremendous guests, and of course, my own monologue. So I hope you will, uh, you will join me this Sunday, 8 p.m. Eastern Time. If you can't, I hope you will uh, DVR the program and watch it that way. So you can always watch it, you know, whenever you want. I want to jump into education, which is near and dear to my heart. Now, in American Marxism, I explain in tremendous detail what's going on in our colleges and universities with these Marxist professors, and it's not just there, in our high schools as well. And um, one of the reasons this book hasn't been successfully attacked by the left is what are they going to say when I quote their own scholars and experts and intellectuals and about how they're scheming and say they're strategizing to advance their agenda, how they're promoting mobs, hate, how they're promoting riots. Yes, all of these things. And probably most people thought, well, at least when it comes to the government schools, elementary, secondary, and so forth, at least they're not there, but they are there. The NEA and the AFT are radical organizations. They are political, partisan organizations. And so, when Terry McAuliffe, the bagman for the Clintons, wants to be governor again of Virginia, talks about really parents don't get to decide what goes on in classrooms, he really let the cat out of the bag. The educational bureaucrats and unions hate parents. They set up these things like PTAs and PTOs where they try and uh, indoctrinate a handful of parents, get them to do things like, you know, arts and crafts projects or raise money for this or that, but no substantive role in how these schools are run. School boards hate the citizenry because most school boards, if they're not outright leftists who are elected, these school board members get sucked into the system. How do I know? I was a school board member when I was in law school outside of Philadelphia. And there were only two of us who ever stood up to the unions or the educational bureaucrats. A fellow by the name of Bob Selleck, a buddy of mine, and me. And he was 27 and I was 20, the two young guys on the board. And I saw how the other board members, even the Republicans, got pulled into the system and were devoured by it. And this is what goes on in school district after school district in this country. I think there's about 14,000 school systems. It's highly political. And the left runs these schools. So you have a candidate now for governor of Virginia who says parents don't get to make these decisions about their students. All you get to do is pay massive confiscatory property taxes, like all of us do, whether you have kids in school or not, and you leave it to the Democrats, because that's what the NEA and the AFT are all about. You leave it to the Democrats, you leave it to sycophants on school boards, you leave it to the so-called administrators who are rollovers, and your kid to hell with your kid. And the Secretary of Education essentially said the same thing at a hearing today. Listen to this. Cut 13. Go. Do you think parents should be in charge of their child's education as the primary stakeholder? 
I believe parents are important stakeholders, but I also believe Primary. educators have a role in determining uh, educational programming. And I think that's going to be a little out of focus, what I think you're going to find across all elements of education. Since they pay the bills, they raise the kids, they probably need to be the primary uh, spokespeople for their own kids' good education. This is how you're viewed, America. This is how you're viewed. Now, this is going to be a little graphic. A father at a Loudoun County School Board meeting on Tuesday who lists several issues in the schools. And look, I'm a resident of Loudoun County. I've been a resident here almost 20 years. My kids went to these schools, and they never had to uh, deal with this, ever. The Democrats took over the school board. They took over the uh, supervisor's board. And everything's gone to hell since. And they are radical. They are radical. I want you to listen to this father at the Loudoun County School Board. And you know, even though Loudoun County and Fairfax County, Virginia are ground zero, there's ground zeros all over this country. Cut 14, go. End of the new school year, and already we see the destruction LCPS policies have caused. First, we have a student attacking another student in the halls of Stonebridge High, then have two boys performing oral sex on each other in a bathroom at Briar Woods High. And just recently, a student beating the crap out of a teacher at Woodgrove High. We also have a policy where boys can freely go into the girls' bathrooms and vice versa without having to identify to anything. And girls are allowed to come to school dressed like hookers. We have evidence there are more books in LCPS schools that have pornographic material in them. LCPS teachers asking students what sexually turns them on and where were they first turned on sexually. Does this teacher get off on this? We have multiple lawsuits against LCPS, one that's starting to brew over Brenda Sheridan harassing a parent over a $2 mask. I guess in her analytical experience, she thought it was cheaper to be sued than let someone speak for one minute than leave. Nice job, Brainbox going on in the school system. Here's a mother who was at the board meeting, a Loudoun County School Board meeting. Let's see. Cut 15. First of all, I want to thank you for requiring identification in order to participate with my government this afternoon. It sets a precedent that only those who are properly vetted to participate in our government are allowed to do so. One can only hope that you support this when it comes to the voting process, having shown that it's not racist to require an identification. I hear from parents every day that thank me for standing up for them because they're afraid that if they say something, they too will be blacklisted. I speak with teachers who are afraid to teach for fear of teaching actual history, math that isn't racist, or God forbid being instructed to teach the use of dental dams in health and FLE. How do you expect them to stay the course? How many will leave or retire just to get away from your twisted logic? I implore that you focus on the foundations of education. Math that teaches critical thinking skills is not racist. Reading books that show them anything is possible, not that any gender is possible. And I will paint with a broad brush. This isn't happening in just a few counties. It's happening across America. The NEA and the AFT are like Politburos. And they put out the word. And they all network one union with the next. The educational system in America isn't being destroyed. It has been destroyed. It's been destroyed in our universities and colleges. 
and it is, as you can see, now been destroyed in our government school systems. And I want to thank those of you who are fighting back. I want to thank those of you who've gotten your copies of American Marxism so you can network one with the other and so you understand uh, the, the diabolical nature of these things. You look at our universities and colleges, the reason they want to have universities and colleges ultimately free, they want to do two years of community college, but that's not where that's going to end. They want to do four years of all colleges when they get their way. And they want to do away with uh, student debt because they want to make it easier and easier for kids to go to college. To learn what? Science, mathematics, history, philosophy? No, to be indoctrinated. They know that so many of your children go into these colleges and universities who are patriots, who believe in faith, and so forth and so on, they come out differently. That's the nature of this invidious indoctrination, brainwashing. And you'll learn all about it in American Marxism, an entire chapter. And the, the so-called scholars who've been behind this, uh, what is as they're still teaching? And I don't know how this society survives if we have a generation that hates their own country and they're taught to hate their own country. I really don't. And that's why it's been so important that so many of you have jumped in with American Marxism, are talking about it with your neighbors and friends, or even sharing copies with them. This is very, very important. I can't think. Can you think of another national figure who has tried to pull together the history, the scholarship, and the activism in one place? Can you think of another? I can't. If you can, I'd be happy to talk to them. People have a platform like me? No. So that's why this book is unique and this show is unique. We've got to do more than talk. The other side doesn't talk. They bully. So this is very, very important our educational system. As I say, I was a school board member because this is something I cared about. At Landmark Legal Foundation, all the years I was there, the lawyers there and we, we fought for school choice. The Supreme Court of Wisconsin, where it started, all the way up to the U.S. Supreme Court twice, and we won. That's why now there's at least an avenue for school choice. If we had lost, then there wouldn't even be an avenue for choices at all. These are very, very important to me, these issues, what goes on in the classroom and so forth. Because we're breeding, instead of patriots with allegiance to our principles, we're breeding people who have contempt for them because they're being taught by people and organizations that have contempt for them. We cannot surrender this great nation to these people. We must not. And in every town, every village, every county, those of you who are standing up, those of you who are passing the word, I want to thank you, because I know you're out there. We know you're out there by the tens of thousands. And I certainly hope, and we'll see, if the people of Virginia elect Terry McAuliffe, or this gentleman by the name of Yunkin, who seems quite good to me. Because Terry McAuliffe is your quintessential bagman, fraudster, and sellout artist. He just cares about power. He likes to be the governor. And so he trashes the cops. He coddles the criminals. He embraces the teachers' union. He spits on the parents. 
And he does all those things you'd expect a clown like him to do. The question is whether the people of Virginia want their liberty, want their schools, or if they've given up. We'll find out. I'll be right back. Mark Remember Dorham, John Dorham, the special counsel? He's issued new subpoenas in the probe of the FBI Russia investigation. And he's targeting Clinton campaign law firm. This is good news. Um, it's kind of weird. It takes all this time, and now he seems to be energized. But we'll take what we can get. Uh, this is from National Review, Brittany Bernstein. Special counsel John Dorham, the attorney tapped for the Trump administration to audit the Russia investigation, has reportedly handed down a new set of subpoenas, including to a law firm with ties to Hillary Clinton's 2016 campaign. The grand jury subpoenas... Now, let's just slow down there. The law firm is this Perkins Coie. And I hope they uh, take a very good look at this guy, Mark Elias, who's the Svengali, in my view, behind so much of this. Now, the grand jury subpoenas for documents were issued earlier this month, according to CNN, after... Dorm charged Clinton campaign lawyer Michael Sussman for allegedly knowingly making a false statement to the FBI. Investigators from the special counsel's office are seeking additional documents from Sussman's former law firm, Perkins Coy. That's the firm. An indication that Dorm may be looking to add to Sussman's charges or to bring cases against other defendants. Dorm was reportedly investigating whether Sussman lied to the FBI regarding who, if anyone, he was representing when he told the Bureau about communications between the Trump Organization and Kremlin-connected Russia Bank, Alpha Bank. Now we know that he was a, uh, he was, uh, a Clinton attorney. And uh, this was all done intentionally to try and deceive as much as possible. The incident against Sussman states that the former federal prosecutor lied to top FBI lawyers, James Baker, in a meeting, as you well know. And so... Now he wants to gather further information from this law firm. The law firm's clients at the time included the Clinton campaign and the Democratic National Committee. Perkins Coy also hired on behalf of the campaign a research company that commissioned the dossier from the former British spy, Christopher Steele. They claimed former President Trump was compromised by Russia. While working for the firm, Sussman also represented a cybersecurity expert who worked with researchers to collect Internet data about the Trump Organization that Sussman took to the FBI. The previously unnamed expert, Rodney Jaffe, is referred to in Dorham's indictment. Well, it'd be good if they can get to the bottom of all this, all the activities of this law firm. Now, this Svengali, Mark Elias, he's jumped from the firm and started his own firm. But he can't outrun subpoenas. So this is important. This, uh, this law firm seems to be uh, the central traffic point between the, the money washing through on the dossier, this guy Sussman going into the FBI and lying and so forth, uh, and uh, it has had enormous impact, this law firm, on, uh, on the investigations of the Trump administration and the president, and also this law firm, again, on changing our election laws throughout the country. Uh, to benefit the Democrat Party. And so uh, it's good. 
that they got a subpoena, and they need to be looked at very, very carefully as far as I'm concerned. And as I say, this fellow Elias, they need to look at him carefully too, because it seems to me he was the uh, he was at the core of this law firm. I told you a couple of weeks ago about the massive amount of dark money. They call it dark money because it's money that doesn't have any uh, transparency, who actually gave it and so forth. That Elias was involved in helping to organize these different groups that were set up in different groups that already exist through which the money is laundered in order to protect the identities of a number of billionaires and multimillionaires who are pouring money into the next campaign. That's correct. Into the next campaign. So I hope Dorm will also look at Elias and this, uh, this octopus-like um, a variety of groups and so forth for the dark money that's been flowing through. You wonder, all these lawyers, all the litigation, all the change in rules that took place in the 2020 election, well, the vast majority of it is a result of that firm and that lawyer. I'll be right back. An unapologetic patriot and unapologetic constitutionalist. You can reach him at 877-381-3811. So you can see the incremental nature of tyranny here. It's happening to nurses and police and others when it comes to mandates. You can see the incremental tyranny. People are being fired. Almost 80% of the people in this country who can be vaccinated have been vaccinated. The other 20%, we do not know what percentage of them have natural immunity. And the government either knows or won't tell us. And um, it's quite remarkable. It's quite sickening, actually. Here's a piece, the Daily Wire. Biden threatening to terminate major portion of Border Patrol agents if they're not vaccinated. Now, who in the world would do this? It's been derelict already in securing the border. So just think about it. Just step back. So people are coming into this country by the hundreds of thousands. It'll soon be the millions who are not vaccinated and have other ailments. Like I said, tuberculosis, measles, other things. Diseases we have... uh, We've defeated, but are now reappearing. And yet when it comes to nurses, doctors, and medical assistants, when it comes to police officers and so forth, down the line, teachers even, if they're not vaccinated, they need to be fired. Private corporations, they need to be fired. Quite strange, don't you think? And so now the Border Patrol? Look, folks, we have power here. We have power here. We have power to organize. We have power to fight back. This is what we have to do. If we're going to go down, we need to go down kicking. I'm not saying we will, but they're winning and we're losing. But here's what they don't know. Right here, you and I have built this massive army of patriots. Massive army of patriots. You, the Paul Revere's. You're more informed than anybody else. 
You're more committed than anybody else. You're galvanized. You're rallying. And you're prepared to push back. Go to chapter 7. I lay out a number of ideas, a number of ideas, how to push back against the corporatists and these corporate boards, how to help police officers who are under attack, how to take back our schools, how to address what's going on in a significant way in our colleges and universities, and on and on and on. You can do this. You are doing it, but we, more of us can do this. I've done all the talking. Why don't we take a few calls here and see what's cooking? Let's go to Sherry, San Diego, California, Sirius Satellite. Sherry, how are you? Go right ahead, Sherry. Hi, Mark. Hi. Hi, Mark. My name is Sherry. I work for uh, San Diego City. I'm a firefighter paramedic for the last 17 years. I, uh, I've done everything on the, the board, including being on the union, working at every busy fire station, helped staff for the department, created a women's empowerment camp, and we went to work every day during COVID. We got sick before we knew how to protect ourselves. My husband's a firefighter. We brought it home to our children and our friends. And as soon as we were better, we went back to work. We never asked a question. And now Todd Gloria is saying that if we don't get this shot by December 2nd, he's going to fire us. We have a massive shortage going on. We can't even staff the department as it is. We have over 300 police officers that are willing to walk. Is this really about safety at this point? Because not having fire engines and police officers seems more like a safety issue than having people that have natural immunity serving the public when we have all the protective gear we need already. This is absolutely appalling. You have natural immunity. Your husband has natural immunity. I bet most of the people there who got sick at the height of this virus have natural immunity. And it's as if they're not, they're not following the science. It's as if they're defunding the police as well as uh, emergency personnel. Uh, and this is a way to do it. I mean, it's really shocking. The murder rate's through the roof, through the roof. And, uh, and this is still how they behave. You know, some days it's hard to wrap your head around this. But uh, what are you going to do? So we have a small group of us that are willing to fight back. We're going to hold the line. I have actually already planned to move to Arizona, unfortunately. My husband is going to consume me. I'm getting fired. So I'm taking my children to Arizona where hopefully we can sell our house in San Diego, make a couple bucks, and then figure out a new thing. I don't know anything else. 17 years with the fire department. I am a seller employee. Never been in trouble. Never got – I was – everything – sorry. It's, it's emotional. No, it's, I mean yeah. – we're just all getting fired because we won't take an experimental vaccine. It just seems insane. But you don't even need the vaccine. You have natural immunity. That's the point. This isn't about science. You don't, you don't need the vaccine. Well, I need it if I want to be employed and put food on my table. For but I mean, family. from a health perspective, this is not correct. And look what they're doing. Not. All right, Sherry, I'm deeply sorry. I'm going to send you a signed copy of American Marxism. I I understand the situation. I'm very sorry. And this is happening, ladies and gentlemen, all over the country. Don't hang up on her. Make sure she gets a copy of it. Let's continue. Let's go to Jennifer, 
Wallington, Connecticut, XM Satellite. Jennifer, how are you? I'm doing okay, thank you. How about you tonight? Okay, thank you. All right. So I'm not against vaccinations. However, I don't feel I should be forced to get vaccinated. First of all, I do remember when Biden and Kamala Harris and the Democrat Party was against vaccinations when Donald Trump was president. You remember that? Oh, yeah, of course. Well, They were anti-vaxxers. You're not, and I'm not. But anyway, go right ahead. Yeah, well, anything Trump does, they're against it, no matter what way it is. Exactly. So I shouldn't be forced to be vaccinated. I'm a registered nurse, and I do home care. I usually see, like, you know, like hip and knee patients, and I'm very careful. I wear my N95 and my surgical mask, and I keep a distance and unless I have to get close to them to look at their wound, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, illegals are coming over to this country unvaccinated. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to lose my job if I don't get vaccinated. Now, it doesn't mean I'm against vaccination, but I'm worried because I want it to be my choice, just like the flu vaccine is my choice. Of course. And I'm still trying to do my research on the vaccine to see if it's right for me. And as an American citizen with my constitutional rights, I should have that right and be able to keep that right instead of these buffoons trying to force me to do something. I don't know if it's going to hurt me or not. You know, and that's pretty scary. It's like, you know, we don't have any control anymore. And yeah, I'm a single mom and I'm not married. So it's it's my money that bring that pays for this mortgage and what am i going to do if i lose my job so either i'm forced to take the vaccine or you know do you have a doctor lose my job do you have I a do. doctor yeah i do you i should I see consult my doctor. with your doctor on the vaccine to make a decision about that you may have underlying maladies i have no idea because my own view is based on the science i was told You get the vaccine, which I did. You get the vaccine, and you'll be protected. So I got the vaccine. Now I'm told, you got the vaccine, you're protected, but you need a booster. And you see that person over there who's not vaccinated? Yes, they're the enemy, because they can make you sick. Now, none of this makes any sense, okay? None of it makes any sense. From what I can tell, I got vaccinated. Uh, There's a very tiny percentage that I'll get ill. That's fine. There's a very tiny percentage, but it's out there, that uh, I'll get cancer or diabetes. There's a good percentage one day. Maybe I'll get a heart attack. Who knows? But that's the way it is. So if I'm vaccinated, the goal was, or the, the argument was, I am protected, including from you. So if somebody else doesn't want to get vaccinated, or particularly if they already have natural immunity, It just doesn't bother me. But for all these draconian measures to be taken to start firing people up and down the chain and and uh, and look, let me ask you a question. Let's talk about nurses and so forth. If we have a bunch of nurses being fired or firefighters being fired or police officers being fired, how many people are going to suffer when their 911 calls aren't answered? Do they come to the emergency room and they're understaffed and on and on and on? We don't know the consequences, the health consequences, the safety consequences of any of that, and nobody takes that into consideration. You look at the police officers, we got murder rates through the roof. And so what they want to do is uh, speed up the, uh, the reduction of police officers and various police forces. It's incredible. Jennifer, don't hang up. I'm going to send you a signed copy of American Marxism. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin.
All right, let's keep rolling. Kevin, Syracuse, Kansas, XM Satellite, a trucker buddy. How are you, Kevin? Oh, well, um, my day, no matter how crappy the day was, it's made whenever I get to talk to the great one, right? Thank you, Kevin. That's my opinion, anyway. But what do I, okay, hey, I was not being, uh, uh, being facetious at all. I mean, I'm glad I got through. Mark, yes, you sir. worked in the government, right? And you're an attorney. You worked for the Solicitor General, you know, the Attorney General. I worked in the Reagan me. administration for eight years, correct. Well, so you, you know about federal rules and all this stuff. Me as a citizen, if I lie on my taxes, if I lie on any federal document, there's a little box down there underneath that says under penalty of perjury. You're right. Yep. Then then why? You know, I don't even buy the argument. I understand that we rule politicians can lie to us. I don't think they should get to lie to us once they're elected, though. I think there should be some rule against that, a law. But... Why, how are federal employees, how can the Secretary of State, how can the Chairman of the Joint Chiefs, how can all of these people who get paid by us, who are federal employees, is there no recourse to fire outright lying, provable lying, demonstrable lying? There isn't. There isn't. There really isn't. They, they, we, you're, so you're telling that is how the relationship Well, if you know one, let me know. I'm telling you this. The problem is the voters. If you vote for liars, you get liars. And uh, that is a huge problem because the Democrat, look, let's be honest. In order to advance this American Marxism agenda, you have to lie. You have to lie about everything. You have to lie about American history. You have to lie about where you're going to take this country. You just have to lie. You're a liar. And if you're saying, is there some law or something when politicians or these officials lie? No, there isn't. And uh, the, the check on them is supposed to be us. But the problem with us is, uh, as time goes on, we might be outnumbered. That's the problem. You're watching the collapse of the society. That's what we're trying to fight against right now. And no law is going to fix it. Because who's going to enforce the law? The Attorney General? The Attorney General is one of them. See what I'm saying? Oh, I, I understand totally. I think we're screwed. I, I, how do we fix it? Even voting, because when they tell the lie, Mark, the, if, they're, if their lie is successful, enough people believe it, whatever they're trying to enact, you're right. enacted. Where, where is the recourse for me? Well, I don't know. Uh, you Have you gotten involved in any of these efforts that people are trying to pull together in the various communities and so forth, whether it's Convention of States or whether it's uh, Tea Party movement or whether it's uh, suggestions I make at the back of the book and so forth? That's what it's going to take because people aren't going to just do it for other people. We all have to do it for ourselves and together. See what I'm saying? Well, I, I, can't, I can't find the people, everybody... You know, everybody is about the Constitution until it's time to do constitutional things. All right, right but I'm saying every one of us has to participate in this battle. So what I'm going to do, Kevin, is I'm going to send you a signed copy of my book. I want you to look at Chapter 7 and see if there's something in there you can do. I know there is. See if there's something in there you can do in others. I share your frustration. I can hear it. But we don't have any magicians or wizards who are going to come down and just uh, snap their fingers or wave their magic wands and suddenly liars are going to be thrown out on the street. It's not going to work that way. 
But there are things we can do, whether it's major corporations, whether it's the teachers' unions, whether it's these politicians, and uh, there's a list of suggestions in there. Maybe one of them will work for you. But do not hang up, my friend. I appreciate your call, and I share your frustration. Trust me. Let us go to Lou, Ocala, Florida, the great WSKY. Lou, go right ahead, please. Hey, Mark. Big power grab in D.C. today. Big money grab going on. Over 16 senators in the Senate, Republicans, and up to as many as 12 in the House, are itching to go ahead with the Democrats and do the continued resolution, which kicks the can down the road till December, when they're going to go for this infrastructure bill. And let me tell you something, Mark. It was the it was the four no's: no to the no to the CR, no to the infrastructure, no to the 1.3 trillion, and no to the three to the five trillion on the infrastructure bill, which mm-hmm. is really closer to 10 trillion because they don't know what the hell they're doing. This is just the most incompetent bunch of people run by communists. That's the bad part. They should just say no. You're exactly right. No to everything. Because the other side is hell-bent on destroying this country. I I agree with you. All right, Lou. Lou's a good regular caller. Don't hang up. I don't know if we've sent Lou a book, but we'll send her another one. I'll be right back. Stick with us. He's here. He's here. Now broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello America, Mark Levin here, our number 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. Teachers call angry parents terrorists. Daily Mail. School officials beg Biden to send in the FBI to protect them from, quote, extremist parents. Angry over vaccine and mask mandates and say it should be treated as domestic terrorism. The National School Boards Association urged the president in a letter Wednesday to mobilize federal agents to protect them from protesting parents. National School Board Association President Fiola Garcia and Interim Executive Director and CEO Chip Slavin penned the complaint. The correspondence states that outbursts from extremist parents irate over vaccine and mass mandates should be treated as domestic terrorism. The letter to the U.S. President requests immediate assistance for school staffers and board members who they say are under immediate threat. It's amazing how Black Lives Matter and TIFA groups like that never have to deal with letters like this. In fact, they're embraced. And uh, the complaint signed by uh, the individuals I mentioned says the National School Boards Association respectfully asks for federal law enforcement and other assistance to deal with the growing number of threats of violence and acts of intimidation occurring across the nation. Correspondent goes on to mention incidents of threats or actual acts of violence against school staffers, alleging that angry mobs have hindered their ability to hold school board meetings because of reported outbursts from extremist parents. As these threats and acts of violence have become more prevalent, the organization asserts in the note, 
The NSBA respectfully asks that a joint collaboration among federal law enforcement agencies, state and local law enforcement, and with public school officials be undertaken to focus on these threats. These school boards want federal law enforcement to silence parents, protesting parents. The complaint then states that the supposed threats and outbursts or even alleged acts of violence are impacting the delivery of educational services to students and families and causing school board members and other staffers to resign from their respective posts, citing concerns for their safety. One of the protests mentioned in the letter, a board meeting in Gwinnett County in Atlanta back in May, was halted by school board chair Everton Blair after a group of peaceful parent protesters fighting for the kids' rights to have to wear masks during the upcoming school year refused to don masks. The meeting was put on pause for more than an hour, leaving parents who were against the state mask mandates unable to voice their concerns on the subject. So that was an example, you see, of the violence. There was no violence. Another meeting mentioned by the organization, their letter, a school board meeting in Nevada, Clark County in August, was also spurred to a standstill after parents voiced their opposition to COVID-19 mask requirements of vaccinations. The board left the room three times within the first two hours of the con- congregation, evaluating, excuse me, evacuating the room once for about 10 minutes after being met with jeers by parents, unhappy with the mandates being enforced by the public school system. Wow, what a threat, huh, Mr. Producer? Uh, Let's see. Uh, Those are two of their examples. Pathetic. So we should have federal law enforcement coordinating with state and local law enforcement to put down teachers. That is, to put down, excuse me, parents and community uh, uh, citizens, taxpayers, Put them down for protesting at school board meetings. Pretty sick, don't you think? What's going on? Part of the country gets to do whatever the hell they want, including burning down buildings. Another part of the country is not burning down anything, and they they want to speak at school board meetings and protest peacefully. That's under the First Amendment last time I checked. And here we have a school board association, the school board association, writing a letter to Biden asking for federal enforcement, reinforcement of the local and state police officials. The letter goes on. There also must be safeguards in place to protect public schools and dedicated education leaders as they do their jobs. They label the outraged parents showing up at school board meetings across the country as right-winged radicals. So everybody at school board meetings protesting what's going on in the school system are right-winged radicals? As the threat grows and news of extremist hate organizations showing up at school board meetings is being reported, I've not seen that. Have you, Mr. Reducer? This is a critical time for a proactive approach to deal with this difficult issue. They then ask for immediate assistance to combat these alleged instances, adding that the Prospective federal intervention will be required to protect our students, school board members, educators. Folks, we pay for all of this. The schools belong to us. 
The teachers are our employees. Do you see how upside down this is? Because now you dare to step in and say, what are you doing to my kids? What kind of crap are you teaching them about sex and about race? We're paying you to give them a quality education, not to indoctrinate them and turn them into something like fanatics and zombies. And for this, you see, you need to be put down. The National School Boards Association. The letter then implored Biden to mobilize federal bodies to invest, quote, investigate, intercept, and prevent the current threats and act of violence. I haven't seen any acts of violence in this letter against our public school officials by whatever extraordinary measures necessary to ensure the safety of our children and educators. See, the parents don't believe in the safety of their own children, apparently. And then it praises Biden while pandering for the president's help, lauding the politician for his response to the coronavirus. We stand ready to work with you, they say. And then they posted their letter to their website on Wednesday, sharing a link on Twitter. And uh, these are the school boards in America. They are basically uh, appendages of the unions. That's what they are. And in fact, many of these school board members are union members in many towns. So they, they really don't oversee what's taking place. They participate in it. But you're to be treated as domestic terrorists. Federal law enforcement is supposed to come in and shut you down, regardless of the First Amendment. Now, they never do this to teachers' unions who illegally strike or do other things of some sort, right? No, they don't. So now that we have parents participating, parents protesting, parents organizing, now parents are being targeted. So today we've talked about how nurses and doctors and medical assistants are being targeted by the government. We've talked about how police officers and firefighters are being targeted by the government. And now we have uh, the, the demand by the National School Boards Association to target parents of all backgrounds and kinds because they're right-winged and they're trying to disrupt the business of the school boards. We have a candidate running for governor in Virginia by the name of Terry McAuliffe, the bag man for the Clintons, saying that parents have no say in what goes on in classrooms. None. We have the Secretary of Education, who's a radical nut job. When he's uh, questioned about this, basically takes a, uh, a, a, a non-committal position, but on the other hand, it was committal enough, uh, where he basically said, you know, no. And this is supposed to be government at the local level, and your kids in our school system. You folks who are peacefully assembling and peacefully protesting... And exercising your First Amendment rights, keep it up. Keep it up. Do it peacefully, do it civilly, but keep it up. And I want to thank you. I'll be right back. Richard, Southampton, New York, the great WABC. How are you, Richard? Mark, good to talk to you. Thank I'm you. Just, I, I am so fed up. I'm a retired teacher, 
and uh, what they're doing. Those parents paid my salary every year. Mm-hmm. I wanted those kids to be safe, to learn, to be creative, to think for themselves, and understand that we're living in the greatest country in the world. And I was ostracized for that a lot of times. But my allies were the parents, and that's who backed me up as a teacher. Another thing I want to say about this next election, I think we might have a little bit of hope that you can every one of those guys that are in office now and put somebody new in there and that we might chip away at the you know House of Representatives to get somebody in there to turn that tide a little bit that that 22 election is going to you know save this country. Yeah, that's it's very, very important. What I'm not going to do what these others do. They go on TV and they say there's no way that the Democrats can win the 2022 election. Uh, why do they talk like that? I mean, what they're going to do is, uh, is in, some, in, the, in the minds of some people, they're going to say, I guess I don't have to vote. It's a fait accompli. So I don't understand people who talk that way. Do I think we're going to win? I think we have a good shot at it. But we need to overwhelm them. We need to take into the, the fraud factor. We have to... We have to throw out more than they even think we're capable of throwing out. You know, not just 20, 30, but throw out half, 50 of them. And so uh, this is going to be very, very important that we do that. You know, I heard uh, one of the former Bush uh, sycophants on our favorite uh, cable station talking about uh, what happened in 2010. Well, that individual didn't understand what happened in 2010. The, ri- the rise of the Tea Party was in reaction both to George W. Bush and Barack Obama, in reaction to both of them. Uh, and uh, I just thought it was interesting that uh, this particular person didn't understand that. Thank you, Richard, and thank you for being, I'm sure, what was a great teacher. Don't hang up. We'll send you a signed copy of American Marxism, and we're going to keep moving here. Let's go to Mike, Westfield, New Jersey. Mike, the great WABC, go right ahead. Hey, Mark, you're a great teacher. I do appreciate it. This is really an honor, as you can imagine. I'm a little nervous. Don't be nervous. Uh, Two things. Like you, I was on the... I'll try not to be. I was on the school board like you when I was younger. I was probably 22 in a small town. I watched what the teachers union were doing in our small town. They were under um, they were underpaid. As I negotiated with the teachers, I was actually looking to get them a raise. They were well underpaid from all the other school districts. What's interesting in tying this all together was the union leader. I was myself negotiating. She turns to us. We want dental this year and and eyeglass. You just have to contribute 10 cents. I thought, that's cheap, right? I went back to the superintendent who was well-versed in negotiations. I said, they only want want us to pay for 10 cents. He goes, once you open up the door, it gets worse and worse and worse. So you really have to, the same thing with this $3 to $5 trillion bill uh, that's coming up in front of us. It's just going to keep adding up. Yeah, but let me me say this. In most school districts now, dental is covered. Eyeglasses are covered. Everything's covered. You understand that, Mike? Oh, yes. It's, it's, it's exactly that. It's, everything's covered, and they still want more, basically. I went in to get uh, glasses uh, eight, ten months ago. And uh, as I was waiting my turn, um, a young lady comes in. And by the way, there's nothing wrong with these people. I'm just saying she comes in. And she picks like five different glasses, you know, the frames out and so forth and so on. And uh, and the lady said, how would you like to pay? And she said, well, I, I have this, whatever it was, a card or whatever. I'm, I'm with the Loudoun County uh, Teachers Union. I thought, isn't that nice? 
That must be really nice. Our employees have far more insurance coverage than the people who are paying the bills. And now, if you dare to speak up at a school board meeting, you could be labeled a domestic terrorist, and we need federal law enforcement to carry you away. Something's very troubling going on here, the the rise of totalitarianism and the embrace of it by various individuals, institutions, organizations, the Democrat Party. Meanwhile, Liz Cheney's still uh, chasing January 6th. Uh, Don't hang up, Mike. We want to send you a signed copy of American Marxism, too. And I want to encourage those of you who have a copy of American Marxism, just to refresh your memories. Let me just open it to the table of contents. If you go back and read Chapter 2 and Chapter 3, Chapter 2 and Chapter 3, that pretty well lays out what's going on in the schools and who's doing it and what they're doing. And that should assist you. And all those of you who are local activists and so forth, same thing. Chapter 2, Chapter 3. Not the only chapters, of course, but they're very important chapters in order to carry out, uh, you know, efforts to get our schools back and make sure our children are protected from this mob. Jimmy, Brooklyn, New York, the great WABC. Jimmy, go right ahead, please. Great, great show, Mark. Uh, Sun Tzu, 2,500 years ago, wrote in The uh, Art of War, armed conflict is the most primitive form of warfare. Out of that, you get economic warfare, which could cause an economic collapse. You get brainwashing or destroying the youth of the country. All of these things, or many of them, were thousands of years old, the ideas, and this is exactly what the Democrat Party is implementing. It's very serious, very diabolical, but it is brilliant. Not that AOC is brilliant, but the strategists and tacticians who planned this and carried it out, we have to crush the Democrat Party, as you know, and then I hope we could work together with loyal American Democrats to work together to get the creeps out of the Republican Party and the creeps out of the Democrat Party. The never-Trumpers, the admirals, the generals, all those people that attacked Trump, they're the cause, or part of the cause, Biden's in there. So they're as responsible as Biden is for what Biden is doing. We can't let Biden get all the blame. All the people that put him in office, Chris Wallace during the debates that, that hurt Trump, all of those people were, were working together knowingly or just being stupid. They put Biden in office. They're all responsible. Let, let me just say, it's going to be a little bit more complicated, Jimmy, as you know, and the reason's this. They've created this massive government leviathan which is loyal to the Democrat Party. Democrat Party takes care of it, takes care of their income, protects them, grows them, uh, expands their authority. And so there is this, this relationship between the Democrat Party and the bureaucracy. So when a Republican comes in, Reagan or Trump and so forth, and they're trying to scale back the size of government, they are sabotaged. And the saboteurs work with the media. We saw that with the FBI most recently, but it's all the time. The saboteurs leak tax returns of the President of the United States to the media. They will never do anything like this, of course, to Joe Biden, because Joe Biden's going to expand their authority and give them many more resources. So the part of the problem is, even when we defeat the Democrats, there is a permanent government in place. A permanent government in place that needs to be slashed. And I don't count many Republicans in the Senate or the House who are prepared to do this. So it's going to be very, very difficult. So we do what we can as individuals. We do what we can in our communities. We do what we can in the voting booth. Uh, But this is a long-term struggle, just the way it is. 
I'll be right back. Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead. A-M-A-C dot U-S. Mark Levin, a proud conservative. No ifs, ands, or buts. Call in at 877-381-3811. Nineteen eighty-seven, my older brother Doug gave me a book. It was a book called *The Closing of the American Mind*. It was by philosopher Professor Alan Bloom. And when I was doing my research for American Marxism, among other things, I reread that book. And he has some very brilliant things to say. And so on page 40 to 41 of the book, I point out that he wrote that every, quote, every educational system has a moral goal that it tries to attain and that informs its curriculum. It wants to produce a certain kind of human being. This intention is more or less explicit, more or less a result of reflection. But even the neutral subjects like reading and writing and arithmetic take their place in a vision of the educated person. Democratic education wants and needs to produce men and women who are supportive of a democratic regime. And Bloomberg, excuse me, Bloom went on to warn that we have a culture in which to root education, but we have begun to undermine it. The idealism of the American founding has been explained away as mythical, Selfishly, selfishly motivated and racist. So our culture has been devalued. Nobody believes that the old books do or even could contain the truth. Tradition has become superfluous. 1987. 1987. Bloom was right. More than he could have imagined. That's exactly what's happening to our schools. And so you have school boards, school administrations, and union bosses who want to determine what type of a citizen your child's going to be. And they are prepared to call in the federal authorities to prevent you from determining what kind of child your child will be. They're prepared to have you arrested. They're prepared to destroy your careers. Well, they compel you to pay your property taxes or they'll take your homes and businesses away from you. And we must resist this. And we will resist this. This battle over our schools is the battle over the country. This is where we win or we lose. They've already taken the colleges and universities, so we need to claw back. And they're in the midst of taking the government schools. And so, if you look at Chapter 7 of the book, I deal with this rather extensively. And there's many, many things you can do, even sitting at your desk at home. 
Now, we're moving on to 1.1 million copies of this book out there, so many of you have it. Just dust it off and look at that chapter. And think about what you can do. It won't take a ton of time, or if you can, if you want to. But it proposes several ideas. I know you're frustrated. I know you're upset. We need to take this energy and focus it. Elections themselves are important. They're not good enough. These American Marxist movements, they don't wait for elections. Of course, they get involved in elections, but they're daily, 24-7, trying to impose their will on you, whether it's through school systems or so-called climate change, the degrowth movement or immigration, whatever it is. And if one of ours is elected, they dismiss them as illegitimate anyway. They did it with Reagan. They did it with Nixon. They've done it with George W. Bush, although he's a little slow in the upturn. And doesn't remember, I guess. And of course, uh, with Donald Trump. Their elections celebrated. Our elections are illegitimate. That's the way it's framed. But we don't have to let them frame anything. We can push back. Now, the Biden administration has been warned by Panama's foreign minister that there are upwards of 80,000 Haitians heading toward our southern border. 80,000 Haitians. And of course, they've been motivated. They saw what happened to the other Haitians that came to our border out of Chile. They had refugee status there, but they wanted to come to the United States nonetheless. And they saw that a significant number of their fellow citizens got into the United States and are in the United States today, and you and I don't have the foggiest idea where they are. Who they are, if they're ill, nothing. Because we have a president that doesn't protect the American people. Panama Foreign Minister Erika Moines said during an interview last week that she warned the Biden administration about the Haitian migrant crisis that was headed to the U.S.-Mexican border, saying that Panama sounded the alarm when we should have. She said there are as many as 60,000 migrants, now they're talking about over 80, mostly Haitian, poised to make their way north to the U.S.-Mexican border, Axios reports. Panama is expecting more migrants to cross through the dangerous jungles of the Darren Gap this month and in all of 2019 (laughs) combined. 27,000. The foreign minister said, let's recognize that they are all heading toward the United States. We've engaged with every single authority that we can think of, and she means in the United States, we came across to say, please, let's pay attention to this. Axios reported that Moynez, the foreign minister of Panama, had multiple meetings this week with the Biden administration's Department of Homeland Security. More than 85,000 migrants have passed through Panama since January, most of them Haitians, she said. Roughly 20 to 25,000 Haitians have already made the trek to the U.S.-Mexican border, with most being allowed to enter the United States. Why is it that the, the Panamanian foreign minister is more concerned about illegal immigrants coming into the United States than our Secretary of State, our President, or anybody else, or Secretary of DHS? She said, we all have a role to play in this issue, and the regional approach is the correct approach. It is impossible for Panama to solve it on its own. 
She said, what I did expect was the tragic rise of the Delta variant. She said, what I did not expect was the tragic rise of the Delta variant. We took a step back by reason of that. I did not expect to be in late September where we are. Okay. Various reports have stated that the U.S. Border Patrol agents are expected to encounter over 2 million illegal aliens on the southern border this year. I, I mean, uh, we talk about this almost every evening. Uh, obviously, Biden and the Democrat Party is not going to do a damn thing about it. Uh, they just don't care. This is part of a design. The white nationalist fascists over at the Media Matters are perfectly happy with this. Um, but whatever your race is, whatever your background is and so forth, no nation can survive this. None. Even Barack Milhouse Hussein Obama understood this, said so the other day, that it's unsustainable. But here's the thing, if you've been reading American Marxism, that's the point, isn't it? It's unsustainable. It collapses the system. You don't have to fire all the Border Patrol or ICE officials. Just collapse the system, Clarence and Piven. So of course it's unsustainable. That's why they're doing it. And notice also AOC and all the rest of the reprobates. They don't go down there and talk to the little girls who've been molested or the women who've been raped or talk about the coyotes and the kidnappers and the drugs pouring across the border. No, 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 no. Notice that. And by the way, notice this too as I'm thinking about it. Notice the consequence of the Black Lives Matter riots this summer. What are the consequences, Mr. Producer? The murder rate has gone through the roof. And mostly black people killing black people. So good job, Black Lives Matter. And good job, the Marxists in Congress and throughout the Democrat Party who attacked the cops in this country. But they'll never be held to account, not by the media, because the media are part of them. I'll be right back. Let us take a few more calls because the news has a way of getting depressing sometimes. But we fight on. Let's see here. Paul. Stanford, New York, the great WABC. Go right ahead. Um, evening, Mark. Pleasure evening. to talk to you. Thank you. Big fan. Uh, uh, 33-year retired teacher. Yeah. And I've had 33 years of putting up with bu- educational bureaucrats just basically made by blood boil. We have to dealing with them for so many years. I so bet. Now I'm looking at the Fairfax County Public School seventh grade family life education in Virginia and on this they put out yeah they put out the, their objectives for the year and it's a bit scant now I realize it's just a website and they're putting it up there and they just want to give you the bullet points but there's a lot what I'm getting at here is if you look at this it looks very benign looks very innocent a very you know something you look at and you would say well I don't see anything wrong with this things about internet safety 
um, changes that they go through in middle school, standard stuff. But what I'm wondering is, what aren't they showing us? Where, where are all the cards? These are the cards they're showing. Where's the rest of the deck? What, 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 where can this stuff get in here? How can we get access to the rest of this? I'm not a Fairfax County resident. I don't have kids in the school, so I don't know how I could do that, but I'd be curious to know. I'll tell you how you do it. You file a FOIA request. You don't have to be in-state okay. to file a FOIA request. See what okay. I'm saying? All right. That, uh, sounds In fact, I'm going to send you a signed copy of my book, too, and I want you to go to Chapter 7, and I explain how all of this can be done. So there are a lot of ways to get information, including information they don't want to give us uh, under state and federal law. Uh, so that's how you can do it. So don't hang up. I want to send you a signed copy of American Marxism. Ladies and gentlemen, this isn't just a book about much-needed information, what we're up against. It's also a book for activism. That's what makes this book so unique. I don't believe there's ever been a book like this. It's certainly not uh, in recent times. Um, That's why I tell people, get to Chapter 7. Chapter 7. Bill, Cortez, Colorado. Sirius Satellite. Bill, go right ahead, please. Yes, sir. I'm just calling to tell you about our local school board Two of our liberal school board members resigned after the meeting just the other night because the other school board members decided to keep critical race theory out of our schools. That's good they resigned. Yep, I thought so. (laughs) We have a predominantly, you know, um, Republican yeah. You know. But, you know, a lot of these elections for school board, they run as nonpartisan in some areas. And also, uh, they lie. And they just throw, I'm for quality education, you know, and blah, blah, blah. And they get on and they, they go cuckoo for coconuts or, or cocoa puffs, I guess. And that's what we have. Um, but here in Loudoun County, where I live, it's brazen now. It's absolutely brazen that a political party can take over a town, a county, can take over a school system and just ram through its ideological agenda. And people need to push back. That's what they need to do. Thank you. Don't hang up. We want to send you a book, too. I can't send everybody a copy of American Marxism, but I can tell you this. If you get your copy and you read it, you'll understand what almost 16,000 commenters have said on Amazon, where it's five-star you'll understand why there's almost 1.1 million copies of this book that have been sold in its various forms. And also why I keep urging you, if you can, to get copies for friends and neighbors and push the message out, push the message out, push the message out. It's so, so crucial. All right, let's continue. Let's go to another bill in Iowa City, Iowa, on the Mark Levin app. Bill, how are you? I'm I'm excellent. It's it's a fantastic talk to you, Denali. Thank you. And uh, you know, I come from a long line of veterans. My grandfather immigrated in '39 from Dusseldorf, Germany, naturalized at Hickam Field, Hawaii, in 1940. Wow. And he made sure his kids, my aunts, uncles, my father, were patriots and understood the Constitution. Uh-huh. And now that my father's in Arlington... Don't get mad at me. Let's take Bill's phone number, Mr. Call Screener. I blew it on the clock. I'm sorry, Bill, but we'll call you tomorrow. 
Sorry, folks. We salute our armed forces, police officers, firefighters, and emergency personnel. Actually, we'll call you Monday. I won't be here tomorrow. Folks, please don't forget to get your copies of American Marxism for you, your friends, and family. And don't forget Sunday, 8 p.m. Eastern. We have a great show on life, liberty, and live in. God bless you.